Welcome to episode 216 of In Touch with iOS, the show that talks about iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, Apple TV, and related technologies. I am your host, Dave Ginsberg, and I am so excited. My guest this week is Mike Potter, the organizer of MacStock for Mac Eyes Only. It's great to see you, Mike. Thanks for being here. Well, you're awfully excited to have me on your show, Dave, but I, but I always enjoy being on your show. Yeah. I appreciate you being here. And, uh, and we can't not say how great things it is when Jeff is here. So Jeff Gamut, so glad you're here as well. <laughs> you are far too generous. And, uh, and thank you for letting me come back yet again, even though you know what to expect. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so uh, got some, I got a pretty full show this week. We got a lot of uh, new stories. Um, we're going to be talking about beta. Uh, got a couple other topics. Uh, one password's going to be up there. We might even sneak in a little bit of a discussion about MacStock. And uh, also have a little bit of a tease. There's going to be maybe a giveaway uh, towards the end of the show here. Because we did. We are going to have two episodes this week. I did an interview with uh, uh, the developer of, of Mimir, the podcast app, uh, Grant Davis, and we'll talk about that in a little bit as well. So, but, uh, let's just uh, go ahead and jump right into the news. There was a fair amount of it this week. And, um, first story is, and I think, uh, this is, this is what the story that actually inspired, uh, uh Jeff for, to do a talk about is, uh, how a Phoenix record store owner set the audiophile world on fire. Um, and, uh, and MoFi claimed it's expensive reissues uh, with purely analog rep- repercussions. It has been deceiving its customer base for years. And Mike Esposito, who still won't say how he gave the tip about the records, um, he went public about this explosive claim. The claim was on his YouTube channel. He just said that uh, uh, that uh, MoFi, which is Mobile Fidelity, uh, the, the, uh, the company in California that prides itself on uh, using original master tapes for pricier reissues has actually been using digital files in its production chain. In the world of audio files, it, uh, it's it, where prevalence is everything and the quest to get as close to the sound of the, of the album's original recording as possible. Digital is considered almost, almost unholy. Jeff, I know you were super excited about this. What, what do you think of this? I think this is uh, crazy and exciting. I don't know. It's kind of a, a, a lot of motion um, here. <laughs> how much time do we have? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because uh, I could turn this part into probably a three-hour uh, topic, <laughs> and uh, and, there, and then there's still more. Um, okay, so first, MoFi has been making incredible albums. Yeah, but I mean, some of the best audio fidelity in uh, in uh, vinyl that you can get. So it just breaks my heart that they were being deceptive about how they were producing these. Now I, I can I can get the whole thing about well you know audio files it's all about analog and digital is bad it's like ear poison and uh, and I have to have my analog LPs and so if you tell them hey there's digital in the process then uh, yeah you. I can see where they'd be afraid that they would uh, lose their customer base. Yep. The problem is that uh, they they were doing a really good job of making albums, but being deceptive about part of their process. And had they been uh, transparent about the process all along, um, uh, I 
we wouldn't be here where, where we are today. At the same time, they would not have many of the customers that they have had up to this point mm-hmm. because there's a lot of people that have that anti-digital thing. Here's the rub. You've been listening to digital all along. That's how it works. The only way for you to have a true analog recording uh, is to get like, um, like a gramophone and put a wax cylinder on it and talk into the, into the big cone and the vibrations then are etched onto the wax cylinder. And that's an analog recording. Once you start doing what we do for uh, recordings, going back to, well, since we've been issuing mass recordings, really, it's a digital process because once you put that microphone in the mix, it's now digital. And uh, and yes, we can have the whole philosophical debate about yeah, but you know we're going to tape and it's not being stored on a hard drive and uh, and you know those digital files they just sound crap on CD and blah 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 blah. Master for the medium, and then you have you can have amazing stuff. If you look at the CDs that initially came out, and cut me off at any time. It's it's fine. I won't be offended. <laughs> If you look at the CDs that were initially rolled out back when CD players became a thing, everyone was like, oh, this is going to be amazing, this digital quality. And we would listen to albums and we're like, huh, that's not nearly as good as they were promising. The problem is they took a master that was created for, uh, for vinyl and then just dumped it onto a disc, onto a CD. Instead of going the heck back, out of it. Yeah. And right. yes. Yeah. So what they needed to do is go back to the original recordings, those original tapes, which by the way, that's, that's electricity going through and making um, uh, magnetic fields that then get stored on tape. That's a form of digital. Then uh, work with those original tapes and remaster that for a CD. And holy crap you can get something that sounds so much better than what you can get from vinyl. And yes, you can have the richness in it and all that. The problem is when, when you do the compression and uh, you do it wrong, you just, you just flatten the file. It's not, it's not rich audio anymore, rich sounding audio. Mm -hmm. So the, so the MoFi people, they are fracking wizards at taking those original masters and turning them into beautiful uh, albums that sound better than the original pressings. And uh, and in the process, they just pissed off a lot of people and ruined yeah. their own reputation. I can keep going on if you want, but I should probably stop because you have other topics. Yeah. I'll, I'll see it. Check real quick, Mike, if you had any other thoughts on this before we move on. Um, I do have a few thoughts. I mean, I, I absolutely understand the anti-digital argument. I, I get that. I understand. Um, and, and I think a lot of it does stem back, as Jeff said, back to the early days of CDs, you know, the very first CD I purchased, it really didn't matter that much. It was, it was Elvis Presley. It was his first album. And I purchased that on CD. Uh, and if you look at the process of how that was made, 
the compression didn't affect it that much. But then when you start looking at some of the other albums that I later purchased on CD and you, Genesis in, in particular, where there's a lot of nuance to the music mm-hmm. and you start to miss some of that as you, when you're listening to it on CD and you go back to the album, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that was in there. I swore that was in there. And then you listen to the CD again. And you're like, yeah, it's a little like you, like you said, they kind of flatten it from the top and the bottom and, right. and there you go. That's what you get. So I get that. I get that. But this this MoFi um, controversy was new to me when I saw the article. So I just kind of read it with fresh eyes. Devil's Advocate, small company. They were, as Jeff said, doing the best job they could to preserve the integrity of the original masters mm-hmm. while also spitting out, uh, I think it said anywhere from 8,000 to 40,000 pressings. They were talking about 40,000 pressings with uh, Thriller. And it was when they announced the 40,000, I think it was 40,000, am am I correct on that? On on Thriller. And it was when they announced that where they said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How are they going to press that many from original masters without Sony freaking out that they're... You know they're they're running all these off. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want to destroy the tapes, and you if you're running, destroy- if you're running a tape forty thousand times, you're going to have at a minimum degradation. Yeah, right. So they're using a process, uh, a very high quality, I you know high fidelity, a, a very high quality process of converting the original analog masters to a digital format that retained and, as Jeff said, even enhanced the original recordings in many ways made them sound better in many ways. Right. And so the only, the only thing I want to say about it, and again, this is just reading it with fresh eyes, small company doing the best dang job that they could is I think deceptive is strong. I feel that that's a a strong word to apply in the situation the, How about the, misleading? Would that be it, better? It may, yeah. you may have been Maybe. misleading. That might be a little bit better. The The process was analog to this high-quality digital, then to the, the pressings, versus analog to the pressings. And I'm, I'm being very succinct here in describing it. There's a r- right. real nice image or um, illustrations on the Washington Post article that show the process. And they show, and and these are actually illustrations that MoFi themselves include with the albums, or included. And I think that's part of the problem is the the original illustration completely left out that digital step. Mm-hmm. And now the illustrations they're including show that digital step. They're showing yeah. that this is a this is part of the process. So, you know, my my question is, okay, let's say that this had not come out. Let's say that or or it came out in a in a better way <laughs> than than the way this was done. Um let, let's say it came out in a better way. And you I it sounds like maybe you purchased MoFi albums. Am I am I correct in that, Jeff? I have not purchased any myself because typically by the time I would hear about one, they're gone. Uh, they're, they're just gone. <laughs> they're gone. And, uh, yeah. and I chose to not actively follow what they're doing because I can't afford to spend that kind of money 
on a, a lot of money basis. Yeah, I mean, you can spend a fortune on buying MoFi albums. Um, it, it reminds me very get... much of the Criterion Collection movies. Y- yeah, yeah, it's you like know, Criterion it, Collection. Yeah, but it's music. But music. Um, so I, does it does it sound does it sound worse to you? I'm I'm using you in air quotes. Does it sound worse to you now because you know the process? Or does it sound as amazing to you as it did when you first purchased that album and put it on your turntable and listened to it? I I have listened to many MoFi albums over the years. Um, Thanks to other people having the time and money to to pick a bunch (laughs) up. Um, And they sound amazing. Just like many uh, properly mastered CDs that I have bought over the years, just like many properly mastered digital audio files that I have listened to. And uh, and for me, knowing now that uh, that they are absolutely using a a uh, a straight up digital uh, step as part of the whole process, that doesn't change the audio for me. And and my feeling is people that that are like higher end audiophiles than me, and I and I do not mm. kind of claim to be like a, like a real high end audiophile. I'm just a guy that loves his music and loves the sound and is really interested in mm. everything that goes along with that. I don't think that you'd ha- you'd be able to really tell in a in a truly blind A B test. And, uh, and in, in, I would say in most cases, if you're listening to the MoFi version versus, um, uh, one of the other pressings, you would consistently pick out the MoFi as the better, uh, pressing because they're bonkers good at handling the mastering. Yeah. So, so th- again, I don't mean to downplay the hurt feelings because I, I, I feel as if maybe that's a big part of the controversy. I think that is a big part of it. Uh, I, I certainly don't mean to downplay that, and I certainly understand the anger. Um, but I give them a chance. <laughs> give them a chance. Yeah. It's a it's a small company doing the best they can. The, the article even said something to the effect that they don't they didn't even have handlers for the people that they brought in to do this interview. There was no vetting of the person who came in to videotape them talking about the process there the company owner didn't even know this went down the company owner Mm. didn't even know it went down until it was too late and he couldn't get there in time so you know small company doing the best they can they're obviously doing an amazing job i am not personally familiar with it but it sounds like they're amazing recordings i they're some of my own albums or some of my favorite albums i should say i would love to hear remastered in this way uh, because I have heard remasters from the original studios, and they're awful. Yeah, right. Uh, so I would I would love to hear remasters from from MoFi. Um, but I but again I let's not call it deceptive. Let's call it misleading. I like that. Okay. I think that I that's can accept a, a that. better way to put that. Yeah. So, so sounds like this is, needs to be a future topic on the show here. We just focus a little more in the small suite sorts shorts here of news. So or let me put it this way. I don't feel it was intentionally deceptive. If it was yeah. deceptive, I don't feel it was intentionally deceptive. I just feel it was a step that they they maybe didn't feel they that they had to disclose. Yeah. Although they probably should have figured. 
<laughs> yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I I think they knew that they should have told people, and I think that uh, they were afraid of what would happen if they if they said that they were doing the step, even though ultimately it doesn't matter. But for the people who uh, consider themselves hardcore analog only audiophiles, yeah, it's that that we're digital. I mean, it 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 can shut people down just like that. Boy, I sure hope I don't hear that all those Criterion Collection DVDs and Blu-rays I got were digital because, uh, boy, I'm I'm just going to be... <laughs> right? I'm going to be right? so mad. Yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go ahead and move on. No, that was that was a great discussion here. And I think that, that might be the topic for another show. Who knows? Because that's, that, that, that's a pretty broad uh, subject. And not that I'm really... I saw... I, I This article caught my eye because it was a I remember putting in here right beginning early last week and, and I it's not really realized interesting. It, it is interesting. Yeah, it, so. it, I absolutely. And, and again, I'm trying to emphasize, I absolutely understand both sides of this. Yeah. Um, and I, I certainly sympathize with those who have spent, as Jeff pointed out, hard earned money on these, these, um, these albums. And then to find out that perhaps they weren't made in the, the way that they expected. Yeah. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next story here. Uh, HBO Max app uh, for iOS is gaining share play, shuffle button, split screen support, and more. The HBO Max app for iPhone and iPad uh, is uh, this week receiving a notable update, which has been quite a while for HBO Max, I must say, uh, that will uh, overhaul the interface and add several new features that will improve the viewing experience on iOS devices. According to the press release uh, that announced the changes, the app was going to have a more intuitive navigation system Hallelujah. Uh, and uh, uh, refined design, performance, and stability improvements, and to bring it in line with the updated HBO Max Apple TV app, which came back in April, which is, you know, has been pretty good here. Uh, US HBO Max users will have an ad who have an ad free plan can use SharePlay on the iPhone or iPad to watch HBO content with friends and family over FaceTime and messages in iOS 16 only, their messages and apps. Plus, there is now a shuffle button. So, now, this is this is good news. I mean, I've had lots of talk about this. I talked about a lot of streaming at MaxDuck and uh, and a lot of interest about this. I think the streaming is a, is a, is quite a uh, quite a topic right now. So, uh, uh, what do you think, Mike, on this? I, I I do not subscribe to HBO Max, so um, you know these all sound like really great improvements to it. Yeah, and if they were missing before, I wonder why. Because <laughs> HBO, the HBO app was god awful for like the first apparently, year or two. Apparently, yeah. it was. Yeah. It sounds like an all new release to me. Yeah, um, but it, yeah, no, I don't subscribe, so I okay. unfortunately I don't really have a much of an opinion okay. on on that. All right, and Jeff, you have any thoughts on this? Well, first, I was really disappointed when I found out that they're streaming digital files. <laughs> I really wanted those movies coming over analog. Um, no. Um, I'm glad they're adding these features yeah, and I will uh, hold back excitement until I see these features in action because yeah, I, I still have a bad taste in my mouth from how crappy the HBO max app yep. uh, was. So it's, it, it's in their court to impress me. Agree. 
All right. Uh, next story. Um, Apple card customer service was responsible for the Goldman Sachs regulatory probe. We did report that there was a probe uh, against Goldman Sachs thinking, oh, bo- oh boy, we got a we got a problem with this bank. Uh, popularity of the Apple card has caused Apple partner Goldman Sachs to struggle and to deal with customer service issues, according to a new report from CNBC. Problems have in part led to an investigation by the U.S. Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Uh, Goldman Sachs was subject to more disputed transactions than it anticipated, with customers uh, seeking chargebacks for products and services. When a customer asks for a chargeback, Goldman Sachs must follow the regulations, and they were failing to do that. That's a problem. I, in fact, I recall I've disputed a couple, and actually they were both in my favor, so I think they were pretty good. But, uh, yeah, the, gold, the Apple cards got become uh, quite the popular uh uh, card. I mean, they keep giving me credit limit increases, which I must be doing something right because obviously I've had it for a while and I'm paying my bill on time. And, uh, I think they must like me because I'm buying way too many Apple products and all my, uh, all my, uh, <laughs> payments on the Apple products with the financing, which is the awesome financing they offer. So what do you think, Jeff, on this? Um, this is a problem for companies, <laughs> you know, yeah. let's partner with Apple. And then watch what explodes because it's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Because people that are into Apple stuff, they jump on whatever it is. Exactly. And I think that a lot of companies are not prepared for uh, that that onslaught, that storm that comes oh, as people start using whatever this Apple branded product or service is. Right. And uh, I think it bit Goldman Sachs in this case. Um, In the end, it'll be fine. It's all, it's all getting worked out. And uh, yeah, uh, Goldman Sachs will probably end up with some sort of slap on the wrist as part of the probe and life will go on. And um, uh, yeah, you're right. If you keep buying stuff from Apple on your Apple card, your credit limit goes up. Yeah. (laughs) If you just if if you buy stuff but pay on time, but it's not lots of Apple stuff, yeah. your credit limit doesn't go up very fast. It doesn't go very all. fast. Oh, it's it's gone up at least three times, and I've had the card since day one. So, uh, and that and that's uh, that and you and exactly what you said with the Apple card. I think everybody was super excited. We were, I was at least, and uh, applied for it the day one and, and got approved. And and we like to take the, the titanium card and drop it on a table so you can get to hear it clang for you. Right, uh, but. No, I think it's been been very good, very good, very good account and product, and I've been happy with it. You, you have an Apple Card, Mike? I do, I do, yeah. And for the very reason you both mentioned, I needed a new right. Apple product. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. And it was the best way to spread that cost oh, out over. It's, it's so months. awesome. I mean, even the, I just bought this MacBook Pro, sixteen inch to the M1 Pro, and spread it out over a year, and I was happy. Uh, granted, I got a nice trade in from my previous Mac, and so I didn't have them. To, it's much of a sting when the, when the financing kicked in, but uh, uh, but yeah, they, they make it super easy to to do the financing. And I mean, I see. I think I did the Apple Watch. You get like twenty four months. I still have my Apple Watch. I've already traded in. I'm still finishing paying <laughs> off because <laughs> you, you don't. Enti- the entire process of applying for the card, getting approved, and yeah. completing the purchase of the new hardware, I timed it three and a half minutes. Yeah. Three yeah, and a half crazy. minutes. This crazy. It's insane how easy they made it. It was yeah. the the and and we had just gone through some some banking negotiations for our businesses, and that takes weeks, weeks. 
And I went, oh, I don't know about this Apple card. You know, we're, we're, we just went through all this stuff with the banks. And now I got to go through this with Apple and getting the hardware. Three and a half minutes. Yeah. Couldn't yeah. have made it. Couldn't have made it more slick. Yeah. Oh. My, my experience is very similar. It, it yes. was yeah. almost an afterthought getting the card. I had gone into the Apple store to buy something. I don't even remember what yeah. it was. And, uh, and I'm there. And then I realized, oh, crap, I completely forgot that the Barclays thing is done and over. Mm. And, and my Barclays card sat in a, in a drawer unless I was going to the Apple store to buy something. And it sat in the drawer long enough that Barclays had deactivated the card. <laughs> right. And oh. uh, and so I'm like, oh, crap. And uh, and her, whoever's helping me, they said, well, have you applied for an Apple card yet? And I said, I went, oh, right. So I tapped on wallet, tapped a couple things. And, uh, and the next thing you know, I'm just Apple paying with my new Apple card. And buying whatever it was, and, now, and uh, yeah, unlike unlike you guys, now I've not I've only had it a, a few months now. Oh. Uh, I've not had any credit increases, but what I have noticed is I tend to pay off my purchases as they clear. Me too, uh, because mm-hmm. I, I use it for a lot of business purchases, so I, I just reimburse myself and then and then pay off the card. I've been paying them off. No, nothing's gone from month to month. There's been no interest no. accumulation. Not me either. My interest rate has Same. gone up twice. Well, My interest rate has that, gone up twice on it that's since of I had it. The prime rate's going on right now. With the, the, it's because of the of, prime rate. But yeah, yeah no, no, uh, there we go. Um, no credit limit increase, but we're happy that's to raise okay. that interest rate on you. Yeah, well, that's why it, it's still a really good interest rate, by the way. It's yeah. still oh, yeah. incredibly okay. good compared to any other credit card that's in my wallet. Yeah. It's about yeah. half. Wow. Um, all right. And then last story, I always like bringing in the patently Apple uh, story into play here. Uh, this is uh, from patently Apple. Uh, Apple apparently filed a new patent for their future Apple Pencil, uh, the Apple Pencil 3, they think. Um, it's possibly going to have a sliding and rolling touch gestures, controls, and more. Um, they jump right into the heart of the patent. It shows uh, an illustration of what, what, what they're going to have as far as uh, uh, the, the, the different uh, ways you're going to be able to use the pencil and then showing the finger going direction up and down or up, up and down or uh, side to side. And same thing at the back of the pencil. Glad to see that Apple is finally looking to do something with the, the up, update the pencils. I think the Pencil 2 hasn't been updated in uh, quite a long time. And then then they still offer the first-gen pencil, which is still kind of crazy at this point because there's still mm-hmm. a lot of those iPads out there that, that can only work with the, with the first-gen of the pencil. But, uh, mm-hmm. Jeff, what do you think? I think this is this is exciting. I'm glad to see some, some new things coming with the Apple Pencil. Well, uh, all right. First off, and, and I'm saying this for everyone because I know you know this, but there might be some people out yeah, there that well, don't. Thanks. When when uh, we see patent filings like this, this is not a proof that Apple's going to release a product. Right. It's proof that Apple wants to protect features from right. competitors. Right. And uh, and in some cases, those features do show up in future products. And sometimes Apple will obfuscate what they're doing by right. showing some uh, patent technology and they'll 
in the patent show it on a device other than where it's going to show up. So we need to keep all of that in mind. That said, uh, Apple Pencil, uh, I would love to see uh, more features in it. And the the big glaring uh, missing thing is being able to spin it upside down and the blunt end becomes an eraser. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, This is not an eraser. (laughs) Yeah, so if you can flip it over and use the the blunt end for whatever, then you need to have gesture support at that end too. So uh, uh, yeah, to me, not having that and then not having gestures at both ends of the pencil is uh, uh, an omission that should be addressed with uh, an upcoming upcoming Apple Pencil release. Yep. Any thoughts on that, Mike? No, it, it, it just occurred to me, as Jeff was saying, that I wonder if there are any other patents that are preventing Apple from doing that. Might there be something that Wacom has or someone else has with the yeah. eraser end of the pencil that might be prevented? I, I don't know. I don't right. know. But it just occurred to me as he was saying that. Why wouldn't Apple have done that yet? Yeah, good question. Um, all right. That's the news for this week. Um, a couple of things I want to talk about before we move to topics. Uh, uh if you probably aren't going to notice, if you're listening to this already, there's uh, two episodes that got released this this week. Um, episode 215 was a great interview I had with uh, Grant Davis, who is the developer of the Meme Mirror podcast app, and we had a great discussion. Go you know go back in your in your podcast feeds and uh, take a listen to that, and uh, I think it was a lot of fun um, and a lot of great information as well. It's it's, it's a really great app. Um, Grant was uh, kind enough to offer us some some free one-year subscriptions to their premium accounts, uh, his premium accounts. So you got all, get, get access to all the premium features, which you can go into the show notes uh, in episode 215 and take a look at what that has to offer. But what I'm going to do is I want to I give one way for this week. And for those of you listening to this show, if you can send an email to feedback at intouchbios.com, we did talk about some of the features, the future features that uh, Grant wants to add to the Mimir uh, app because uh, it was a lot to, to to take on as far as a podcast app goes, and mm-hmm. there's a there's there was at least two features we mentioned. You, if you if you uh, send me an email feedback at intouchbios.com and tell and tell me one of them, I will send you a, a coupon code for the App Store to be able to get a one year free subscription uh, for uh, Mimir and on the on the app. Wow, so. that's really cool. Yeah, so. We got a couple extra ones. I'm going to kind of give them away at, over the next couple of weeks, and don't want to give them all away at once. And uh, yeah, come uh, so go go watch and listen to episode 215, and uh, and send me send us an email, and maybe you get a free uh, subscription. So, um, well, that's really awesome. I'm 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 glad I turned you on to that at Max Talk, Dave, because yeah. it is an incredible app. It is. And Grant's a great guy too. Really want I want more and more people to use it because it is mm-hmm. it yep. is a, a wonderful podcasting experience, especially if you're used to the iTunes way of doing it. Yep. And uh, I, a couple things I'm missing. I, I actually need to send him an email and, <laughs> and talk about a couple things that I feel are missing in the app. He's, but um, he's very receptive. Yeah, it's, that. it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And one of the things I like best about it is it does allow you to say dump my podcast over on this other drive. Yep. You have control. Which Apple does not do. You have yeah. full control. So very, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, check that out. He's, uh, he's, re- he's re- very receptive to emails and uh, you know, very responsive. So, uh, so, but uh, yeah, check it out. And 
no need to talk about more. You go listen to the other episode and you can find all about that app. So, uh, other thing I just wanted to talk a little bit with you, Mike, is uh, Max Stock. Now, a little bit anyway. I uh, wanted to hear, uh, you know, we're, we're post Max Stock here for over a couple weeks now. And um, you've got the digital pass, I am assuming, is coming soon. I'm sure everybody's going to be pretty excited to when that's ready. I know that's a lot of that's a lot of work, and you probably have a lot more work to do to get that ready to go. I wanted to kind of hear how, how that things are going with that. That is going really, really well. I've been working on that all week. I was working on it earlier today, all day yesterday, the day before. Um, it, it does take a little while to get those ready. But yeah. Part of it is because I just want to go through, uh, as you know, Dave, or anyone who's been to MaxDoc knows, we have uh, a, a volunteer at a table who's manning the process, ba- basically serving as director for the day and doing the camera switching, and that becomes a program feed. That's the master Guys, program right. feed. <laughs> and I was just going to say, digital. our volunteer, yeah. our yeah, volunteer this year was Guy Searle from yes. MyMac.com, yes. Mm-hmm. And um, he did a wonderful job of it. The, the thing I like about the system I use, which is the Sling Studio, is that in addition to that program feed that Guy was essentially serving as director for, it also records the individual feed separately. So in an event or in an instance, I should say, where perhaps uh, our director stuck a little too long on the slide, or maybe there was some information on the slide that didn't make it to the program because we were focused on the presenter, I can go back to the original feeds, the separate feeds, pull in just what I need and do the edit. So. What takes the longest about this is going through and actually watching the entire talks all the way through to make sure that they flow well. And in I, I would say about 95% of uh, of what I've watched so far, it's been great. Guy did a phenomenal job at it. Awesome. Uh, a couple times I've had to go through and just kind of say, well, let's take that slide from the presentation and stick it in there for six seconds just so that people can see what... Aaron was talking about or what have you. Sure. Um, but the the big benefit of this, and I've mentioned this on um, Chuck's show several times in the past years, is, uh, and this is a selfish benefit, is that I get to actually hear the talks all the way through. Yeah. Which right. is something I don't get to do at, you at don't. Stock. So I, I get to hear the talks all the way through. And I will tell you that, that our first three talks of the weekend, the, the day one of Max Talk, the talks were awesome. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. And I can't wait for everyone to be able to watch them again. Uh, everyone who attended has a digital pass. Anyone who donated their uh, ticket to the Max Talk Community Fund has a digital pass. So there's a lot of folks out there already who can benefit from these. And I expect to have day one completed probably by the end of day tomorrow. Certainly by Saturday, I'll have them done. Nice. And then I'll 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 put out a notice that day one's ready, and I'll start working on day two and get those out there. Um, well, but got, yeah, you only got it's been two speakers great. for day two, so I think you might be okay with day two. <laughs> two speakers for day two. Uh, one of them was uh, this guy Dave Ginsburg. I I don't even oh, know. Yeah. I don't even know if day two is going to be worth listening to. Quite <laughs> frankly. <laughs> I beg the difference since all the people that did come up to me afterwards, my friend. <laughs> uh, no, we have actually two, yeah. you know, we had Dave on day two and we had Mike Schmitz, Mike Schmitz and yeah. uh, two uh, long-term wonderful presenters, both do a great job every time. 
And uh, Dave is always inundated with questions every time his talks end, which just goes to tell you how how well they relate to the people in attendance. Right. So, yeah, I, I expect day two is going to be just as amazing. Day th- uh, day one was all, all, all new speakers to Max Talk. Yeah, all true. three oh, wow. were brand new presenters to Max Talk. So, and, uh, uh, and yeah, Aaron. yeah, great. It was a great weekend. It was a it great was. weekend. We had a lot of fun. Yeah. So I have a link in the show notes for those who didn't attend, who are interested in getting the digital pass. It's $99, which is you know, a bargain for all the great information you're going to get, and plus all the other stuff that was part of it, not just the speakers. And, uh, and uh, click that link uh, and purchase that digital pass, and you'll enjoy some of these great presentations uh, out there. So I just wanted to make sure I mentioned that while you were here, Mike, if you have anything else you wanted to add. I appreciate that. And I should also point out, too, that if you are brand new to MaxDoc and you've never attended, uh, didn't attend any of the virtual MaxDocs the past two years, 2020 and 2021's virtual MaxDoc presentations are included with the MaxDoc 6 digital pass. Awesome. Nice. So those were previously only available separate. I I got rid of those digital passes. And so if you want 2020, 2021, or Max Doc 6, they're all bundled together into one digital pass. Good idea. Great. That seems yeah. really generous. That's very generous. All right. So go check it out. Links in the show notes. And uh, let's go ahead and move Thank on. You, Dave. To, you are welcome. Let's move on to the topics this week. We talk about beta. That's all we do every week. And there's always something going on with beta on iOS and iPadOS. Uh, iOS 16 beta 5 has has come out this week that came out for the developers. I think a lot of the discussion has been about the battery <laughs> and the, and Holy uh, crap. I mean, there's been so much chatter about that and uh, a lot of focus on some of the customized focus filters, uh, some editing, uh, improved editing in iMessage. Uh, but uh, like I said, yeah, the battery has been like the biggest <laughs> discussion across everybody complaining about the fact that the updated battery icon uh, that, uh, uh, that that with Face ID displays the specific battery battery percentage instead of just review, uh, uh, review uh, a visual representation of the battery level, which I've been fine with, and especially the fact that the notch is there. So on the iPhone, it's you know it's you're you're not going to see it unless you go into uh, the control center, then you see it. Um, so, uh, they've, they've made some space and I don't be interested to see how they do this on, you know, I have, we have the iPhone 13 pro max here you know, with the notch. Well, and then guys going to shrimp, shrink it down. I don't, I don't of course put beta on, uh, on my primary device. We'll let Warren answer that the next time he's on, uh, <laughs> to tell us what he sees. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is, this has been the craziest thing that's going to be. Um, they are saying with the battery that it is going to work, of course, with the thir- iPhone 13, iPhone 12, with the exception of the the mini. So both the 12 mini and the 13 mini, this will not work. Well, duh, because it's too small. They're not going to have enough screen real estate to be able to expand it. Um, it will be available on the iPhone 11 uh, and of all, all models. And then the 10s, the 10s Max, and the and, and the iPhone 10. I think they said the the 10R is not going to have it. If I'm not mistaken, it doesn't say in this article. But I thought uh, I, I thought I read that it was. Is it going to be now? So maybe uh, they changed it, it. And I paid attention to that because we do have a 10R in the family. Yeah, and I've got this but, this camera I'm looking at right now is 10R. So I guess I will find <laughs> out. <laughs> uh, so now, uh, but my understanding, Dave, is that um, they're not going to use any more screen real estate for this. They're not going to put the percentage next to the battery as no, they don't used think so. to. 
the number is going to be within the icon itself. And so the controversy that I read, and again, I don't put beta on my phone either, but the controversy that I read, controversy, I'm putting that in air quotes for anyone listening to this. The controversy I read was that the battery icon does not continue to show the levels. It doesn't reflect the levels within the icon itself. Mm -hmm. It's a solid battery icon with the numbers in the center. Yeah, I don't know if they had a picture of it. And uh, that's the controversy. Oh, yeah, I see it. Okay, yeah, the, yeah. in the article from Mac Rumors, I see. It's got, yeah, there's a battery. It's got the full uh, background in it and just says 80. <laughs> yeah, now, now I should probably emphasize from everything I've read, this is optional. You yes. don't have to turn this on. Turn it's off. not on all the time. It's It's a toggle. If you don't like it, Toggle it off. I kind of like Go it. I don't mind the old it. Way. So, so, so it, it has the fine. number instead of the, the shrinking down of of how much battery uh, is left. In it, it, how uh, much? How much did we all hate it when they got rid of it? Yeah. Now they're bringing it back, and we all hate it. Come on. Yeah. It'll be fine. So uh, yeah. Well, and they didn't even like completely get rid of it because, like Dave said. Yeah. Swipe down, control center, and you see the percentage. Yeah, there you and go. you know, and when when I got whatever my first iPhone model was that had the notch, which what was that? Was that the 10 where yeah, the notch good. was introduced? It all mm-hmm. bleeds together after a while. Yeah. And uh, and I couldn't see the the percentage by the battery unless I swiped down. That was a problem for me for like 10 seconds, maybe. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and mm-hmm. when I say it was a problem. It was one of those things where my brain was uh, was questioning why it couldn't see something it was used to seeing, <laughs> and I did a swipe down, and then my brain built some new neural pathways, and it's been fine. And holy crap, why is this even news? Exactly. Anything that saves me a little bit of time, uh, and that is if I don't have to swipe down to see I'm at 68% or 33% or whatever, if I don't have to, that saves me a little bit of time. I'm all for it. I don't care what the icon looks like. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. I did like you, Jeff. I got used to it. So you pull down, you see it. Great. But that's an extra step. If I can avoid that, cool. Yeah. For for me, the way it has worked since uh, uh, the change happened when the notch was introduced, seeing the battery icon with it with its little decreasing amount of uh, of battery. Okay. All I cared about was, am I looking at a little icon where it looks like there's more or less than half the charge left? (laughs) And if it's less than half the charge, okay, now, depending on what I'm doing, I might want to swipe down and get the numeric value for that. So I can decide if I need to uh, find a way to get some more juice in the phone now or later. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um. Then uh, watch OS 9, nothing really to report. That, that's that been pretty much uh, standard. But interestingly enough, tvOS uh, uh, 16 has some notable things that have been added here. Um, the fifth beta uh, came out uh, this week for testing purposes. Uh, it's been a week since the previous beta. Um, it is enabling uh, cross-device connectivity, a feature that's going to allow developers to integrate Apple TV apps with the iPhone and the iPad and the Apple Watch apps to unlock new experiences on the TV. Apple has also improved uh, how multiple user profiles work in tvOS because it's gosh awful right now. Uh, 
and uh, adding a shared keychain so users won't have to have the need to sign in and choose their profiles when launching the, the Apple TV app. Finally. Um, game controller support is going to be expanded to the Nintendo uh, Joy-Cons and the Pro Controller. Uh, and HDR10 Plus support is available uh, in the Apple TV app. Uh, with tvOS uh, 16, the Apple TV will support the uh, Matter, which is an upcoming standard that will improve interoperability between smart home accessories and from different companies. Hallelujah to that, too. So, and and of course, they did also see it in another version of the HomePod 16 software, which... Yeah, I'm going to completely avoid that until <laughs> until it's out because HomePod hasn't, as, as Jeff knows, HomePod has its challenges. <laughs> well, here's what I want to know. Now, now, now that Hulu is raising their prices again so and they're Disney losing Plus. NBC shows and they're losing the NBC shows starting next month. Now that that's all happening, when will Apple start offering live TV. Good question. They're, they're already dabbling in it now with baseball and then they have, and all the other stuff that's, that's been happening. So yeah, I have a feeling probably right. And yeah, this device need, is going to be consistent and we need cost effective. That's what we need. Just oh, like we talked to antennas back on our roofs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like we talked, you know, the last time they've updated the, the, the Apple TV was in 2021. So it's been well over a year. Uh, which was, and before that it was, uh, four, four years. So they really hadn't been doing much. So, but there's rumors that there's potentially going to be another device coming out, maybe an affordable one. So uh, I think, I think it's got a bright future. I mean, we've talked about it many times. The services are, are, are just continuing to be a very profit, profitable thing for Apple. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see yeah what more live, live their, the uh, content they're going to offer here. So. Yeah. Um, perhaps they can just buy Philo or Fubu and. Yeah, just kind of yeah, just take one of those. Yeah, maybe just take one of those and just take it. <laughs> you just roll it. It's, in. A, it's Apple roll it Philo. In. Um, all right, another topic. Sorry, Philo. Sorry, no, no <laughs> I didn't mean to imply we, you need to be bought out. No, no, that's okay. Um, I wanted to talk about Apple Watch a little bit here. Um, we had an interesting discussion on Mac Voices Live, and if you want to go back and listen to it, you know Chuck Joyner shared a personal story about the. Uh, um, one of his uh, relatives that were um, not relatives, one of his, his girlfriend had had a bit of an issue with um, uh, with falling and, and the fall feature, the fall detection feature that's on the, the Apple Watch. Um, what I wanted to do is more focus on the fact of making sure you understand how to set it up because I I, I can't emphasize more. And in fact, I, I even talked to a coworker about this and. And she was very excited about, oh, I, I don't know if I have that turned on or not, because people don't know when they do, when they go into the Apple Watch and make sure that it's that it's turned on. So I've got support articles here from Apple that are in the show notes here. And what you have to do is on your Apple Watch, you go into the SOS, uh, emergency SOS uh, app that you see there and, and go to fall detection. And then you turn on fall detection. You also can go into the Apple the Apple Watch app on your iPhone and go into there as well and turn it on. Uh, but you want to make sure that's turned on because it's so important. Uh, one of the things that Chuck had mentioned that that it, it uh, does do is, of course, you put in your uh, your emergency contact, usually like a spouse or friend or whoever you want to trust, and it and when you do fall and it's and it's got to be a pretty good fall for it to sense it 
because I've fallen a few times and it never off and I've had it on the whole time and I can't shouldn't admit that I have, but it is what it is. But, um, this is when you buy the app, when you get the Apple watch for the first time and anybody that's 55 and older, it's automatically turned on. So when you put your health information in there, you put, yeah, me too. Uh, uh, and, uh, we're all tearing. I asked, I'd make sure that we're all teary eyed here. Um, so, so it, it, it is important to, to make sure that's turned on and, um, uh, it, it, it'll save your life. As I was saying, he mentioned that uh, not only does it call you the, the 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 emergency contact, it also is going to send you the information of the of a map of where that person's located. So you, you'll see that where that person's moving to or where they're going. So probably you want to be able to see. Well, not probably you want to. You want to see if they're going to the hospital or are they going somewhere else, and it'll continue to do that until you you know until you turn it off. So. It's it's just incredible. I mean, we've and we talked about so much about how, all the emergency things that have happened with you know even with the AFib feature uh, with with Apple Watch, and this is just you know it, it's it's just pretty phenomenal uh, what you can do uh, with an Apple Watch. And so we got two two links in in the show notes. The support article that's on that's actually the Apple Watch uh, user guide, which is always good to have a link for anyway. And then uh, uh, Apple Insider wrote an article here that talks a little bit about this as well. So I think. Uh, I think it's it's so important. Jeff, you have any thoughts about this? Uh, yep, I am completely with you on this. As a matter of fact, even though I checked uh, all of my settings to make sure everything is still set up the way I expected after uh, Chuck was talking about this, yeah. I just went and did it again while you were talking just to really, really make sure. Right, right. And uh, yeah, my, my emergency contact is set up. Um, my... Uh, uh, my fall detection is turned on. Um, I, I've had two incidents where uh, fall detection was legitimately triggered. And in both cases, I was fine. Uh, but in one case, I, I was out skiing and uh, took my skis off. And as I'm walking into the lodge, which had an incredibly icy uh, deck, I went down hard Ooh, on my back. And that. I mean hard and if i hadn't been wearing my helmet still i probably would have been in the hospital but i i hit yeah. the deck hard enough that uh, uh i heard one person scream and it wasn't me and a couple other people were, were going oh my god are you okay and uh, yeah i was um and uh but i was fine yeah it's fine the other incident i was with friends and someone said here ride this little uh kick scooter thing it'll be fun and it was all the way up until I got going too fast and hit the curb and went flying off of it <laughs> and uh, uh, luckily landed in grass and uh, um, had little more to show for it than bruises and a dent to my ego. But both times, my Apple Watch did exactly what it was supposed to. It detected the fall and um, and alerted me that uh, if I didn't uh, tell it I was okay – it was it was going to call nine one one and let my emergency contact know where I was. Yep, that's what it did, and it was great. I, I felt really yeah. good about the fact that my watch did exactly what it should. And uh, the uh, when you go into the emergency SOS setting in the Apple Watch app on your iPhone for fall detection, of course, turn it on. But you have two choices there. You can have it always on, which I would recommend always to keep it on. Yeah, just but, leave it on. Some people, some people may not want that, but you also could set it only during workouts. So maybe they're thinking if you work out, then you end up falling. Maybe that'd be a place to do it. But I think always on should be default 
my opinion. I, I agree because you never know when that stupid the time. fall is going to happen. Yeah. Most of the time. I, I, I have a story I'm questioning whether I should relate or not. Okay, um, uh, then I, committed, I, relate. I, I, I guess I'm committed, so I'm going to try to do this in as fa- as a family-friendly way as I can. <laughs> I don't need it's to believe. It's a story I heard, I, I just heard it this week. Friend of the family, I swear... No immediately, no immediate family members were involved in this. This was this was a third party friend of the family story related to me. So I will I will no doubt get some of the details wrong. However, there's um, a, a woman who was with her boyfriend in the throes of passion. Got to take <laughs> her Apple Watch off. And at at one point, the Apple Watch detected a fall mm. incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Sent a message. She didn't see the message. In her defense, apparently she it was sent another. <laughs> she was yeah. pre. She was preoccupied. That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> and um, apparently, it sends another message. Does it do that? I I don't know. Um, but when there was no response to the messages, they alerted emergency services. Mm-hmm. Right. And emergency services showed up at the house. <laughs> and it was then that they realized what happened. And she had to explain to the EMTs that, no, she really hadn't fallen. There was something else going on. <laughs> and she had forgotten to take off her Apple Watch. Mm-hmm. And there were high fives so, all around. <laughs> and there were high fives all oh, around. Yeah, the EMTs were probably high fiving each other. That is, that is probably one situation yeah. uh, during which you may want to take off your Apple Watch and or turn off fall detection. And more take but it the, off. That's, that's just that's just me. That's just me based on this story. But, I, I'm Did thinking, I keep that clean enough for your show? Oh, I, was, I'm thinking I, I went to leave my watch on when uh, those opportunities arise <laughs> for just in case. So I can tell people, oh, my God, you're not going to believe what happened. What happened night. to me? <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say to complete your calorie rings or something. Well, I have uh, made jokes to people about uh, uh, we need to have a separate workout for uh, booty time so that uh, <laughs> we, we get uh, uh proper uh, points for that workout yeah absolutely yep. so i thought we we uh had that on mac voices live earlier this week and uh as we record and uh, i thought it was important that i reiterated it more so to talk about how to turn it on and to please make sure it's turned on i think it's so important good call thank you for bringing my that story up. regardless the importance of leaving it and on should not be understated don't, don't wear your watch when you have some unusual activity <laughs> unless you you uh find yourself performing those activities in such a way that a fall could happen in which oh, case you might want to leave your watch on that that's a good point that's a that's a good follow-up to my story jeff thank you yeah um all right and uh, i got my, you back you you always do dave, dave says moving on no no i just i thought we were done <laughs> but uh Let's go to the next story here. Um, if anybody isn't aware, uh, I, all, I know all of us here are big fans of 1Password. And, uh, of course, we know 1Password came out with um, uh, 
their electron app and they've made everything universal. We had lots of deep conversation about that topic, but, but the, the back app has been out for a while, but now they finally have released the version for iOS and iPad OS uh, this week as we record. Um, Agile bits did confirm uh, that, um, that uh, I, uh, the one password seven app will still be supported and you will, you can have both versions installed on your, uh, on your devices. Now you can't go out well, you kind of, you kind of can, you have to go to an indirect way, go to their website and then click the link to be able to download one password seven. The biggest thing, a reason why they, I think that they're, they're, they've got a lot of unhappy people right now is the standalone vault is no longer supported in, in one password eight. So for those of you who right. just paid for the app and, 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 and didn't go with the, the, the subscription, you're going to be out of luck with one password eight. Sounds like for now that one one password is going to uh, continue to support seven because pe- there are people who want it. You know they don't want to pay a subscription. They don't, they you know I happily do it because I think it's a great. I think they have a great thing with the family the family teams and um, and, and even at the end of individual plans. Um, and I don't have a problem. One password is a is a very secured application. I don't have any issues with that. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was on went on to Twitter. I just wanted to verify with them. I said, okay, so you're so you're going to let people keep both versions of this app on your on your on your device? And they said, yes, that's what we want to do. And and if you feel like you're 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 ready to move on and, and just go with one password eight, then yeah, then you can safely delete i one password seven. So I think that's 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 fine if you so choose to do that you just got to be careful especially with the auto autofill that it's turning on you're going to have two versions of an of an app that can do autofill including the the uh the keychain <laughs> so now you'll have three uh so that's a little overkill but um but just yeah i think that's that's actually a, a good thing because it's going to let you be able to tr- uh, transition over your um your vault and make sure that everything works properly before you move on cuz you know that's what a lot of developers do. They said, "Okay, got a new up- got an update. This is an upgrade. See you later. You got to move if you want to upgrade." So, interesting way to do this. I didn't didn't think they would do something like this, but they did. So, uh, Jeff, you have thoughts? I'm not surprised they did it this way at all. Yeah. Um, the the companies that get how their uh, their customers are using their products and are listening to the customers and appreciate what's involved in the transition from a perpetual license to subscription model. They're doing exactly what uh, Agile Bits is doing here. And uh, they, they leave the old version available, uh, support it for a while, but at some point they'll stop supporting it. That doesn't mean it'll stop working and it doesn't mean they will actively do something to break that version. It'll just keep working until something happens at the operating system level that makes it not usable anymore. And um, and then at that point, you have to decide what you're going to do. So yeah, companies like Agile Bits doing exactly what they're doing here. Yeah. Great. They're doing it the right way. Good for them. Um, the, the only issue that I had was that I didn't realize until we started talking about this that I hadn't actually installed one password date on my iPhone because when I saw my software updates earlier this week and one password is in there in my mind, I thought I was getting one password eight when I right. tapped the update button. Just there was and, a fix for seven, six, was it seven, nine? Yeah. And seven it was uh, a fix for uh seven. And uh, yeah. So 
I need to go download the new version, which the fact that I didn't realize says a lot about how transparent 1Password is on my iPhone because I don't have to go into the app that often to do the things that I need to do. So I didn't realize that I would have known had I seen the different interface that, or the old interface that I wasn't running the new version. Right. Do you have thoughts, Mike? Uh, no, you know, I, I have the standalone version of it. I don't have the subscription. I, I have a, a family license for it. Mm. And, um, they are, they are, you're right, Jeff, they are doing everything right. They've given us plenty of notice. It's not like this has sprung upon us. We've known for what, two years, right. it feels like, maybe even longer, that this was coming. Um, they're offering uh, upgrade discounts for single user plans if you want to go to the subscription. Um, and, you know, look, if you really don't agree with it, there are plenty of alternatives. There's plenty mm-hmm. of very good alternatives out there that are cross-platform, open source, some are closed source, and most of them will import your 1Password uh, vaults. So uh, not all of them, but most of them will. Uh, so you know, there are options, and there's a, there's a lot of very good options, but 1Password just happens to be one of those excellent choices, and it you know, almost every one of these alternatives requires a subscription. And when you look at the cost of the subscription, guess what? It's about the same as 1Password. We know 1Password is great. Why not stick with it? Absolutely. Oh, I, I'm a wholehearted supporter of 1Password. I have no problems paying the subscription. And in my case, <clears throat> I'm very happy with it. And uh, in fact, I got to get better at it because, you know, got to improve my password uh, security and not not repeat my passwords and try and I try not to, but, um, well, uh, Dave, I'll just point out that when password is really good at helping you solve that problem, they really do. They do. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they're, so, no, they're, it's, they're very it's, good at that. It's a thing is I, I like to memorize my password. That's the bad problem is, 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 uh, when you go to a site and I'm not at a place where I can use my one password app to get to it, uh, so I gotta do that. That sounds like a Dave problem. That's a Dave problem. Yeah. yeah, because you can use one password everywhere. Yes, you can. Even when it's not installed. That is true. That is true. But so the the, I, the, the worst passwords are those you can memorize. Yeah, but I do use some pretty complex ones. So <laughs> but you're right. If you keep repeating them, you're gonna be it's gonna get yourself in trouble. So that's yeah. Rule of thumb. Yeah, use one password. They stay. They have a password uh, suggester, and it, it, you can just put it right in, and not even have to think about it. Um, so check that out. Uh, one password eight is you can download it. One password seven will still stay on your device, and for now, if you uh, want to continue on using it, especially if you have the uh, you have a standalone vault and not not subscription, and uh, yeah, we'll go from there. Um, last last topic I want to talk about this week again. The Washington Post has been. I, I caught two two things caught my eye this past week, and. This one here is interesting. It's it's talking about gadget graveyards, and they found the mm-hmm. the hidden death dates on popular devices. Um, this was a pretty po- it was just a, a pretty popular uh, discussion this past week. Um, so interesting. They have a list here and ask you know what happens if your gadget no longer holds a start charge? What happens if uh, when they do? Unfortunately, there many many of them are simply designed to die. Um, and they and they go through a list here and analyze some of the consumer electronics that are here. It's interesting interesting to see, like a case of the Fire HD 
8 tablet. Uh, they're saying two to three years that the battery could die, and the battery, the Amazon offers no battery replacement service. And attempting to repair it yourself is moderately difficult. You'd think iFixit probably has something to do, but they say it's very difficult to do. And there's a lot of, and there's, um, uh, and there's a lot of things here. And of course they had to have a disclaimer here because you know, Amazon founder Jeff Bezos does own the Washington post. So they have to keep their editorial you know, proper here. Mm-hmm. Um, Apple AirPods designed to die. They could die as soon as two years. I've had mine that are in my ears right now since 2019. So I had them since they came out. They've been great. Um, We've talked about on on the show before the, those those uh, swap services that are out there, and I, I did I did do that with my AirPods, uh, my first gen AirPods, and basically what they do is you send them the old ones, they send you new ones, uh, and they swap out, um, and they swap them out. So, and they're not too terribly expensive. But Apple's battery quote unquote battery service, they'll sell you a new one, but it's forty nine bucks per bud. Um, so. Extremely difficult to replace, but like it mentioned, swap clubs will send you refurbished, like I just mentioned here. So, and we know the iPhone and the MacBook Air, and um, those are those are easily repairs and, and easy to be repaired. The Bose QC35 noise canceling headphones. I have a pair sitting right next to me here. I, this mm-hmm. and I've had it probably. You know, the QC35 probably came out about four or five years ago. It's still going strong. Knock on wood. Says you get about 500 cycles to, for 80 percent capacity, but it's still been running really well for me, but they offer no warranty battery replacement service on that. It's near impossible to replace the battery. So um, Bose does say a typical user would see a 20% degradation between five and nine years. So, um, and we can go on and on. There's so many other devices that are listed in here. Um, but uh, just, just check that out. Even if it has the Tesla in here designed to be repaired, well, I would hope so for as much money you pay for a Tesla. <laughs> um, so, but the other one that was super interesting, and I know necessarily that oh, we we print things um, on our um, we we print things on our, our from our, our iOS devices. Uh, this was on a on a blog here, fight to repair on a Substack here, uh, citing the danger of ink spills, Epson programs end of life of for some printers. Um, there there are plenty of functioning Epson inkjet printers out there that, that could continue to work for years to come, um, and. Uh, the important product update is you're effed. <laughs> uh, so turns out what Epson does, they've had hard-coded an end-of-life into the software that runs the inkjet printer that you buy. Um, pre, it, this is a predetermined end-of-life, and it's not a feature of the device explained to you when you purchase the printer. But it, it doesn't matter because that's what Epson does. They, you know, they, they, don't, they don't want you to keep this printer anymore. They don't want to continue to support it anymore. So they think they have the right to do it as an end-of-life. Um, and funny enough, they, they do have a windows version of, of, uh, of software where you can change the, cause the waste ink pad is really what the, where it is on, on printers where that pad gets filled up and then, yeah, you, and you can't get to it. You can't replace it, but they have some software that'll do that. Of course it doesn't work on a Mac. So what's good for us? Not. So, uh, so there are, there are some printers that are, are designed to, to stop operating. And so I, I this is. This is kind of frustrating, but uh, there, there's, of course, someone had to be out there to do this, and, and, and you can't even get the part. So you have to improvise and come up with a new sponge. So, so the guy in here goes and actually replaces this, the, the pads in there with some sponge that he found. Uh, that and, that was and, awesome. And I that watched was a great that idea. video. That was great. Oh, did yeah. you? Okay. And, uh, yeah. and, and um, 
and you, you just you just have to go in and reset the counter so it you know it'll continue to print. And I guess you can on this. So, um, question is: Is this legal? Is it illegal that that Epson is doing this? And I guess it's unclearly, but it's possible that I, I don't think they should be doing this. I mean, you have every right to keep your printer for as long as you want, as long as it continues to work. I mean, I support a lot of these inkjet printers and office jet printers, and it's the, a constant battle. HP is just as bad. Uh, I haven't seen them do this, but um, I mean, I actually have an Epson you know, workforce printer sitting next to me over here. So, uh, and it continues to work. Okay. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't think this is fair. If someone wants to hold on to a printer for as long as they can, as long as it isn't in, you know, in disrepair, a lot of times the print heads fail out. You can't replace them. Something breaks, you know, anything could happen. Um, I, I find this is, this is kind of frustrating in, in, in the case of Epson here and doing this. What do you guys think? Well, um, I look at this piece of news in a couple of different ways. First, it's a, it's actually in contrast to what uh, uh, the Washington Post article has. And the Arsh- Ar- Washington Post article, to me, is disingenuous because it talks about mm-hmm. the uh, you know products designed to die. Yeah. AirPods and a Fire tablet are not designed to die. They're just not a repairable product. Right. There's a difference. A product where you have built into the code an automatic bricking of the device that's designed to die. Yep. And uh, and regardless of whether or not this is a legal practice, um, it's it's not a moral practice. And uh, I mean, yes, the the reality is when you buy an inkjet printer. You are essentially buying a disposable device that's uh, sole purpose from the manufacturer's standpoint is to sell you ink. Mm-hmm. And yes, I, I understand what goes into the uh, development, uh, the, the entire process of creating these inks. And ev- the, I, I think they're way overpriced. But at the same time, I appreciate there's actually a lot of money that goes into designing ink formulas, and they're not all the same. And mm-hmm. and there's a lot of science that goes into making the right kind of ink for a specific print head on a specific device and, and all right. that. Epson, don't do this. This is this is not how you, you build a, um, a good customer experience. This is not how you create loyal customers that come back and buy their next printer from you when the one they're using finally dies because the way it's dying is that you bricked it on them. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what's really interesting about this is that um, ironically, this appears to apply only to their eco tank printers. Yeah. According to the article. The eco tanks are designed. They're designed to use giant tanks of ink off to the side, so you don't have to buy cartridges. It lasts so like that you two just years. refill the tanks. Yeah, and so that's kind of the point of it is to extend the life of the printer and not have to mess around with ink cartridges. And yet, when this waste tank fills, they've designed it to stop working and not make the waste tank easily replaceable. 
Now, that's just salt in the wound right there. It's yeah. salt in the wound. Yeah, yeah. Now, if I, the, the video didn't go into it. Uh, the video that Dave was referencing was someone who removed the uh, eco tank holder from the side and made his way into the printer to get to this waste tank, took out the old pads, put new cotton batting and foam in it, and um, then said, now the printer's working again. What the video didn't explain is did he have to run the software to reset the counter because as dave dave pointed out there is windows software to reset the counter did he have to run that software or by virtue of the tanks being cleaned out and reset physically did that tell the printer hey this waste tank isn't full you can use it again that that's something i'd be curious about because if that's the case epson could very well make on an eco tank printer, mind you, make that waste tank easily accessible and replaceable if they wanted to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's my, my guess is they that took, he had to run the utility. Yeah. Yeah. And, That's uh, and I my did guess. notice in the utility uh, uh, description in the article, it said that it resets it for a short period of time. So it's not like you get the uh, the same life out of uh, the reset uh, wasting tank that you got when you first bought the printer. And you can Maybe. only run the utility once. Maybe. There was a little contradiction in the article there. I read that same line and went, oh, great. So you get, what, another 10%? Yeah. But then down beneath, it says you can reset the counter from 100% to 0%. Well, then that implies you get a do-over. So it, mm -hmm. it's unclear. <laughs> it's unclear. And I blame the article writer for that. Uh, but I would be interested. I, you know, look, we're Mac users. We don't have a utility. We can run Windows. We can run the utility. We can reset right. the printer or we can bring it to a friend. Mm -hmm. You know, phone yeah. a friend, hook the printer up to their computer and reset it. So it's not like it's out of our reach as Mac users. It is. I guess it's nice that they provide this utility. It would be nicer if you didn't even need it. <laughs> be, yeah. be, be nicer if you didn't have to use it. Exactly. Yeah. So thought it was an interesting topic, and uh, it definitely is. Uh, we have to expect that gadgets are going to going to run out of steam and stop working sooner or later. Some people like to keep them for a long time. Others, you know, when it dies, you you move on to another, something new. So, uh, but it uh, it was a. Uh, Interesting, uh, interesting discussion that for this week on that. So, um, with that, let's go ahead and uh, wrap things up for this week. That's a wrap for this week. Please send your comments, questions, and suggestions to our email address, which is feedback at intouchwithios.com. You can follow us on Twitter at intouchwithios. Support the show by buying me a coffee at intouchwithios.com slash coffee. We would really appreciate it. You can become a Patreon of the show. Uh, Tom W. this week has became a new Patreon. Really appreciate you joining us and supporting the show uh, this week. Um, and the way you can, uh, others can support the show is by going to patreon.com slash intouchedbyOS. We have two tiers available to support the show. We would really appreciate it. Make sure you like, share, and subscribe so you are notified when we are live streaming, which is Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific at our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash InTouchWS, where you can watch and listen to past shows. 
Visit InTouchWithIOSMyGazine on Flipboard, where many of the topics we discuss are flipped into that magazine. The link's in our show notes. You can subscribe to your to, to the show in your favorite podcatcher, including uh, Mimir, which we're always going to be talking that now. And if I also like podcasts. You can use that as well. Apple Podcasts, or there's many others. But don't. Uh, but better yet, go to your go to Ooh, Apple Podcasts. Yeah, go. Better yet, go to our our website at web at uh, intouchwithios.com, where all the links to all the ways to listen to us are there. I am Dave Ginsburg, and you can find me on Twitter at DaveG65. Mike Potter, thanks so much for being here. It's always a great thrill to have you on the show. Where can people find you? Thank you for having me, Dave. It has been a blast. Uh, folks can find me at formaceyesonly.com or at formaceyesonly on Twitter or max.conference. Thank you, Dave, for mentioning that earlier, which is max.conference and expo.com or at max.expo on Twitter. Thanks, Dave. Great. Thank you. And uh, Jeff Gamut, as always, it's always a great t- time to have you here on the show. Where can people find you? It's always fun, and I'm happy to be here. Uh, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram, jgamut, both places. YouTube.com slash jgamut for my uh, occasional videos. Uh, most Tuesdays on Matt Voices Live with you, Dave and Chuck. And uh, uh, Thursdays on The Big Show. Fridays on The Mac Show. And... Uh, uh, most Thursdays here with you. Did I already say in touch with iOS? <laughs> I think it's you did. so important. I'm Thank saying you. it twice. It's all right. <laughs> and uh, and then uh, Brian Chaffin and I have teamed up for the Context Machine. So uh, there's plenty of places to find me. And uh, as always, Dave, it's great to be here. Thank you. And thank you for listening. We really appreciate you listening to the show. We enjoy doing it. And we'll talk again next time.